From the Hollywood Gallery of the Peterson Automotive Museum, this is Car Stories at the Peterson. Welcome into another episode of Car Stories. My name is AJ. And I'm Chris. And we are joined today by ABC7's automotive specialist, Dave Coons. Dave, thank you so much for coming in. Great to be out here, and I come to the museum as often as I can. Yeah, you've been a member of the museum for quite a number of years. I think you? almost since it opened, yes. Yeah, yeah, and you've uh, you've done a lot of, uh, of uh, stories here, and uh, there's always something exciting for you to see and... Well, you have all the fun stories going on. Just this year, I did your big uh, Mustang event because uh, 50th anniversary of the Mustang. Last year, I was here for Corvette for 60th anniversary of the Corvette. So if you guys keep doing fun events, I'll keep covering them. Sounds like a deal to me. Well, we are doing the uh, the history of the AMC Gremlin after this. Oh, we'll... love it. Hey, I spent, <laughs> some of my high school years were spent in a Levi's Gremlin that a friend Ooh. of mine's mom had, yes. Well, let's uh, let's dig back into your history and talk about some of that stuff. What, uh, what was your earliest automotive memory? I remember uh, I was actually born and raised uh, primarily in the San Fernando Valley. I was born in Burbank, but we lived in New Jersey for about two and a half years when I was a real small toddler before even kindergarten. And my two memories from the street we lived on, first of all, it snowed, so that was kind of cool when you were a kid. My dad didn't like it. And I remember the neighbor across the street had a Pontiac, one of those wide-track Pontiacs, either a Grand Prix or the Bonneville, and he always backed it into his driveway. And most people didn't do that. And I just thought that car looked so cool because it had those eight-lug wheels Mm -hmm. and it had those vertical headlights, and that was the coolest car in the neighborhood. And my other automotive memory was... Down the street, there was a little girl that I used to play with and hang out with, and she had a brother who had ditched a little pedal car in the backyard that, I guess, didn't work, and I sat in it trying to get it to go, and you know how you notice weird little things about cars? Uh The steering was hooked up wrong, so you'd turn the steering wheel to the right, and the wheels would go to the left, and I was fascinated by that. Like, wow, why is this different from all the other cars? Because I knew that was wrong. Why is it? And of course, it didn't go anywhere. It just sat like in the mud. But those are my two probably earliest memories of of car things. There's something to be said about a car guy because I think they hit the age. There's a sweet spot of when you own a car when you insist on parking it backwards. Yeah, I, everyone goes through that. I, it it comes in and then I think it slowly fades away. I can't remember the last time I've backed a car into a spot just to be cool, but. I think everyone goes through that, don't they? Well, you know, because when they style cars, let's face it, for the most part, they style the front of the car a lot better than they style the rear of the car, yeah. especially these days. So it's like, ah, I don't want you to see the back of my car. I'll just see the front of my car. Yeah. And <laughs> if you're backing up into poles, you might as well just, just hide it a little bit. Well, and sometimes, you know, it's 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 uh, actually easier to back the car into the spot than it is to go And you forward. notice that's why valets do that in crowded parking lots. Valets do that. Yeah. Easier. yeah. easier to get the car out and get your gratuity. It's also why uh, forklifts have the steering wheels at the back instead of at the front yeah, of the forklift. a guy who goes to Home Depot a lot, I'm very familiar with forklifts, and I'm always the guy in the way. I just need to grab this one thing. Don't run me over. Right. <laughs> so when you moved back to the San Fernando, you came back to the San Fernando, San Fernando Valley. Valley, yes. So you were in just the epicenter of oh, car Oh, absolutely. Culture. Well, first of all, we lived in uh, Northridge, which was fairly rural at the time, yeah. so we were up against the foothills of Southern California, and so... So the cool older kids in our neighborhoods, which, you know, face it, 17, 18 years old, they had muscle cars. We're talking like the 1970s. They had muscle cars. There were also guys who go up into the hills at Baja Bugs and Dune Buggies, so I got to see those up close. Motorcycles. And then, of course, when I got into high school, Van Nuys Boulevard was was just at the end of its, you know, it was kind of starting to fade away and and be cracked down upon. But I used to go down to Van Nuys Boulevard on Wednesday nights, and, and it was just car nirvana. So... As a place to grow up, and of course, the year-round great weather, that helps too, um, just being around cars was just almost a natural. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So when you uh, uh, transitioned from childhood to uh, your uh, adolescent life, you obviously 
couldn't wait to get into a car, right? What what did you get? And well, I here's here's the the, the car that I pined after the most. My uh, uncle Richard from down in San Diego and Aunt Doris, they had a 1965 Mustang, four speed, A code, disc brakes. And they would come over and visit on the weekends. And we lived on a fairly wide street that was pretty abandoned. And when they would leave on Sunday, I would say, Uncle Dick, peel out. Uncle Dick, peel out. And sure enough, he'd give it a few revs, and he'd light up that 6.95 by 14 right rear single-legged tire and smoke it all the way down the block because uh, it had these glass pack exhausts. And I thought that was the coolest car in the world because it was a stick shift, and it made great noises, and I own that car today. Wow, they are pretty cool cars. Yes. So, what was your first? Was that your first car you got when you got? No, your no. They, they were they were wise enough to withhold that from me until I was uh, quite a quite older. The first car I ever bought. Uh, well, this is we're talking about the late nineteen seventies, and so if you wanted a used car, the hot thing to get was either a Mercury Capri, first generation Capri, because yeah. there were a lot of them in California, or a Datsun five ten. Yeah. And those were all about yeah. eighteen hundred to two thousand dollars. They were way out of my budget in my box boy job at a supermarket. So then, if you were the rest of us and looking for a used car, you spent about a thousand dollars on a Pinto or a Vega. Well, I ended up in the Vega camp, and I had a '73 Vega GT uh, that was school bus yellow, and was actually pretty nice for a Vega. I had it about a month, and it got rear-ended on the freeway and totaled. Ooh. So, <laughs> well, a strong breeze could have totaled that. <laughs> well, car. yeah, and and a a Pontiac Grand Prix with one of those big uh, safety bumpers just you know plowed the into me and pointy and, nose going yeah, right. Yeah, that you. was the end. That was the end of that car. So then I thought so it got, it got rear-ended before it rusted away. Exactly. <laughs> well, in Mr. this is California. Cars don't rust here. I'm telling you, we have the yeah. But the, this is a Vega we're talking. <laughs> well, that's true. Uh, some say they rusted on the assembly line. Exactly. Uh, but then I thought, okay, I'm going to get the because I got to check from the insurance company, and now my father's said, well, okay, I got to pick the first car to help you get something sensible. And now I said, I want a Mustang. So I found a 66 Mustang that was probably the worst Mustang in the world. I, I fell in love with it because it was a four-speed. But it basically, you know, all it needs is everything. I mean, it had suede paint. It had a cracked vinyl top. It had stuffing coming out of the seats. It had a missing synchro. It had a rod knock. It had collapsing front suspension. But by God, I had my Mustang. Hey, now you would call it a survivor. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> people would want it like that. Yeah, so I had that car for a few months, and then when I graduated from high school, I had to get something sensible again. So guess what? I ended up with another Chevy Vega because by now they were down to under $1,000, and I found one of those. And that actually took me most way through college, believe it or not. Wow. Yes. So it, and it, it wasn't even a Cosworth. No, no, the uh, Cosworths were, were uh, uh, even collectible, I think, back then. Uh, this was a Vega GT, but it did have factory air conditioning. And if there's nothing else you can say about General Motors back in the 60s and 70s, man, did they know how to build air conditioning. They still do. Oh, my gosh. That, that Vega, even the black vinyl interior, it could be a 100-degree San Fernando Valley day, and I'd watch Ugh. the temperature gauge like a hawk. But, man, I was always frosty cold inside well, that they, car. Well, they owned uh, frigid air. Yes. And, and you'd see right on the compressor under the hood, which was about the size of your leg, uh, it would say, frigid air right on it and, and we had a frigid air refrigerator that had a little gm it. logo in the corner yep. on the yep. on the freezer door of the fridge i just can't think of anything because it's hot out right now it's not valley you know hot no, but it's it pretty is, toasty it's toast and just just sticky american vinyl black <laughs> on oh, your skin the worst Ugh, would the just worst. be the worst thing people right would now. put a towel down on the seat so you oh, could yeah. drive it with shorts and not, not burn yourself yeah it, so you you are abc's automotive specialist yes so how did you go from you said? Well, hold on a second. Right. Hold on a second. All right. Okay. 
I need to know about that that uh, Levi's uh, Gremlin. Oh, the Levi's before. Gremlin. You know, <laughs> How do, we can't we can't miss well, that one. How did you get a Levi's Gremlin? I, I, well, it wasn't mine. It belonged to a friend of mine's family. It was his mother's car, and they moved out here from Chicago in about 1975, and they bought as a dealer demonstrator a 1974 Gremlin. Not only the Levi's interior, but the 304 V8. Wow. And that was a pretty high That'd little be a cool car. Card. Actually, and it was blue and white two-tone, it had the blue Levi's interior, and that thing would surprise a few people considering what 1974 had to offer as far as performance. That little 304 and that Gremlin, that thing would would spin the rear tires like crazy. So And if you if you've never seen a, a Levi's interior in one of these cars cuz most of them didn't really survive, uh, you open up the door and it looks like blue jeans. It even has little copper rivets and yes. the orange it, stitching and Everyone's it, talking about something hot though on a hot day that copper rivet. Going yeah. right in your back. Well, the other thing was they they did put a little logo on the front fender, the Levi's that kind of little uh, what is that a trapezoid that's like orangey mm-hmm. red. They would put that on the fender so you knew if it was a Levi's Gremlin or a Levi's. Well, they have a Matador and I think they had a Pacer, the Hornet. Yeah, maybe the Hornet too. Yeah. So, yeah. I just who and maybe this was starting to become the future of American engineering uh, when we sort of started to rest on our laurels and coast. But who was going, hey, you know, all the cool Japanese stuff coming out, all the cool European stuff, the bulletproof German engines they're building. How are we going to compete with them? And then somebody at AMC went, I know, Denim. Well, you know what? There was actually a whole trend in the 70s, and I did a story about this last year with, with Leslie Kendall because Chrysler now has the John Varvatos edition yeah, Chrysler yeah. 300. But back in the 70s, remember, cars were terrible, and we had Leslie Kendall even saying this in my story. He said, you know, there wasn't a lot to offer with cars. Horsepower was down, the big safety bumpers. So I thought, well, let's spruce them up and make them, make them like a leisure suit. So they had the Givenchy Continental Lincolns. They, yeah, they had were old, Gucci Cadillacs. Yes, they had Oleg Cassini um, back to American Motors and Levi. So they were going to these designer things yeah. thinking, well, the cars don't go very well, and, and they're not very well made, but hey, we'll put fashion inside them. Yeah, but did yeah. the guy say, uh, you know, who said, you know, Mr. Iacocca or, or anyone in charge, how about a little bit better gas mileage? It, was that guy just, you're fired. Well, you <laughs> got you to have the context of the 70s here. You, you figure in the early 70s, all of a sudden insurance companies were clamping down on high horsepower cars because they were very dangerous. They couldn't handle, they couldn't brake, they could only go fast in a straight line. And then you have, uh, you know, the the EPA cracking down on the emissions. So all of a sudden, they have all these stopgap measurements to uh, try to reduce these emissions that really just choke the cars because they the engineers hadn't quite caught up to the need yet. And then you have the the safety regulations and oh, we've got to make sure that this car can withstand a five mile an hour impact without uh, having too much body damage. So then you have these giant bumpers. You have you know, cars that, uh, well, the convertible disappeared for a few years, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it's just, it's the context of that era. And it's pretty amazing the things that we're able to actually make, uh, given, given what they had to work with. You know, one of, one of my earliest memories from that era, and, and, and you're right, Chris, that was an era, I mean, I think from about 1973 up till maybe into the early to mid 80s, they just were awful. Well, in California, a lot of people don't know this, in California, starting at about 1975, you couldn't get a new Camaro. Corvette or, or Trans Am with a manual transmission. They were banned because they would burp out a little bit of extra hydrocarbons during the shift, so automatic sure. only. And in a Corvette, there were two engines. Now, we're talking about the 70s, but there was the base engine, which was the L48 at 185 horsepower, or the L82 was the high-revving one that made 210 horsepower or something. Well, right. you couldn't get that in California either. We had a friend, a family friend. He was a race driver, a guy named Ron Dykes. He'd driven for Carroll Shelby, and he'd done some racing. But his day job was he, he leased cars. He worked for a car leasing company. And he was able to go out of state and order through an Oregon dealership 
an L82 four-speed Corvette in 1977. And, you know, I kept track of all that stuff. So I knew when I saw an L82, because I had the badge on the hood, even with its meeker, 210 horsepower, that was considered a lot. And he took me for a ride in that car and demonstrated, you know, threshold braking and heel-toe downshifting. And I thought, oh, my God, this is the coolest car in the world. Now, in the context, sure. it was pretty fast for his yeah, time. Yeah, it was amazing. Now we, now we laugh a at it. Camry you know? <laughs> would beat it around Of course, track. absolutely. <laughs> and the good news is all of those restrictions, only about 40 years later, did it, uh, finally are we to uh, good mileage and performance. Yep, so yep. just a scant 40 years. We just and, had to uh, catch up to the regulations. And, you know, to that point, when I was a, a teenager, that's why you know nobody really thought much of new cars. Even if you had the money, you were seeking out a 70 Chevelle you know, LS6 or you were seeking out a Boss 302 Mustang because, well, they're not going to build things like this anymore. Right. Those days are over. Of course, they're back now, as we know. They can make cars that have way more power than and those. And they're faster now. Oh, absolutely. The, the basic muscle car that you buy now is faster than the super muscle car that you bought back and in the And it 70s. handles, and it stops, and it meets yeah. today's emission standards, yep. and it won't overheat. I mean, yep. you look at that Hellcat Challenger, the 707 horsepower Isn't Challenger. that amazing? Isn't that amazing? If five years ago somebody said, you're going to have 700 horsepower, drive it every day, air conditioning, extended warranty, and it's going to come from Dodge... Nobody would have believed you. Well, imagine that thirty years ago. Yeah, go, yeah. go back into and the, the early K car 80s. was new. Well, you know, I remember being a, being an auto enthusiast, and and I was in college. And I remember the the headline on 1982 was Car and Driver, and Ford had brought back the Mustang GT with the with the 5.0, and the headline was "The Boss Is Back" in huge typeface on the front of this magazine. So you think about what a low point 1980 or 81 was from right. 1982. And that car had 157 horsepower. Yep. And everyone was jumping up and down like it was the hottest thing in the world. You know, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. And it has a manual transmission that you can get in California. Yeah. Uh, that seemed amazing. So go back to 1982 now. Just show them a new basic uh, Mustang from the from the V6 from the Hertz fleet and say this has 312 horsepower. Or whatever yeah, it has. Yes, though the the four cylinder has yeah. a bigger engine now than the six cylinder. Absolutely. It puts out more yeah. horsepower. All right, so when you're, you're growing up in Southern California, how, so how did you tie your car passion into your job? Well, that took a little bit of doing. I, I embarked on a career path. We had a family friend who was in a position to give me a, a gopher job uh, at Channel 7 uh, back on the old Prospect lot when there was a guy named Jerry Dunphy was the main anchor, mm-hmm. and it was really a, the salad days of local news because there wasn't a lot of competition from cable. CNN had just kind of started, but and I worked my way up, and, and my parents made me promised to stay in school uh, as a business major, which I did. I went to Pierce College and then Cal State Northridge. Um, but I really wanted to get into the news business. And, and it was a great time to be in it because technology was changing. They were going from uh, the two guys having to carry the camera and then the recording deck to the one-piece beta cam. And then editing was advancing to be faster. So I was taught how to shoot. I was taught how to edit. Uh, you know, Learned from a lot of mentors along the way and started shooting and editing and producing and uh, I'll never forget, in the 1990s, Chevrolet was launching the Impala SS. And we got a press release mm-hmm. from probably from the local Chevrolet office. Hey, come out to this event. And I guess it was a really slow day. So the assignment editor said, I go out to this thing in Pasadena. There was a place called Route 66 Restaurant. It was on Fair Oaks Avenue in Pasadena. It was a car-themed restaurant. They had this press event, and they had all these black Impala SSs lined up. And I went in there and introduced myself. And I said, I'm, I'm from Channel 7, and I'm going to get pictures of this car and maybe get some interviews. And... I go out there, and, and so we sat down. We had breakfast. We did a presentation. They handed us the keys to these cars. I went out with a GM person to help me get video and got to drive this car up at Angeles Crest Highway, and then we came back, and then we had lunch. I think they gave us a hat, and I thought, well, I'd like to do this all the time. This is really cool. So uh, a few years later, I, I took a proposal to our news director, and I said, 
you know, we were really expanding our, our newscast and our, and our news staff as far as, you know, having a consumer reporter and having a health reporter and having uh, entertainment reporters. And I said, we're in Southern California. This is where cars are. This is where cars are happening. I said, you know, I would love to do something with cars. So she kind of looked at me and said, well, tell you what, put together a proposal, make a, make a tape and do it. And so I put together a couple of stories on spec and took it into her. And it was kind of like this light bulb went off. And, and then at first it started out as, well, let's let Dave do this thing with these cars. And then uh, within a couple of years, it was like, what stories do you have? What are you working on now? What do you, can, can we air this? Do we have this thing? Did you read about this thing in the Wall Street Journal? This is new car. Oh, yeah, I've already shot it. You know, So I became you know, entrenched with the uh, PR people for the car companies. And once you, once you do a few stories and they're all kind of hitting up, hey, look at this car. Yeah. Hey, look at this thing. Come to this event, that sort of thing. And it just sort of grew uh, from there. And, and I've been able to become uh, a guy who is fairly dialed in on the local level to, to the car scene. And you know, uh, we just were out in the parking lot looking at I'm driving the new Hyundai Fuel Cell Tucson right now for a mm -hmm. story. Um, I have a Dodge Viper that's uh, been dropped off this morning because I'm doing an event this weekend. But and I'm, you took the fuel cell? Well, because the Viper wasn't there yet. <laughs> oh, okay. so, but okay. I'm using the Viper for the Braille rally tomorrow, which is oh, the okay. thing where you go out with a, a sight-impaired child and, and you drive them around on a sports car rally. So I, I, I'm living this life um, of just getting to play with all these fun cars. Well, you can't complain about that too much, I guess. No, and I was telling someone recently, I said, you know, if a high school counselor had come to me, like, you know, in, in sophomore year of high school, well, Sonny, uh, what do you want to do? And and I used to make uh, little 8-millimeter videos, and I, I would do videos with our football team at school. And, uh, in fact, we had a guy named John Elway went to my high school. Huh. You might have heard of him. He went on to some success. And I would videotape the, the he games. He went on to own a dealership. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's right. He's, he's, a, he's, a he's, a he, he's in the car business, too. Uh, and, and so... <laughs> If I went to a counselor and said, yeah, I'd like a job where I could um, do videos and drive a bunch of cool cars, and is there a job like that? And they, you know, they would have laughed at me and, and kicked me out of the office. Well, it just happened if you played your cards right and did the right things. And I know people who've worked in publishing and, and got their start there doing you know, the salad days of the Peterson Publishing Empire sure. and worked there and had journalistic careers, and people we know still are able to do, the, do that today. So it's like almost like a pinch-me kind of thing that I, I get to do this. And, and you know, all, everyone who laughed at me for wanting to hang out in the parking lot in high school and look at everyone's cars instead of, why aren't you on the water polo team or why aren't you in the, uh, the Glee Club or something like that? Well, I did find a way eventually to make what I liked uh, be my career. Just think, you could be doing uh, specialty water polo stories right now. For oh, ABC7. boy, how exciting is that? You know, the the <laughs> hub. We are the hub of the water polo culture. Oh, sure. sure. The sure. newest yeah. nose clips today at five. Everybody knows that. So what, uh, I, I, as much as I'm into cars, I'm a broadcasting geek. So I love uh, L.A. broadcasting. So what is like one of just the craziest car stories you've had to go record on or report on? Boy, you know the thing is the, the behind the scenes. Well, stuff. here here yeah. was my, my here was my indoctrination. I think it was 2002. It was my first year of really covering the LA Auto Show whole hog. And if you remember, the LA Auto Show press days were like the first week of January back then, and it was a slow, slow week. I mean, there was not much going on in news, and so I was down there for two press days. I think I did. 14 remotes in mm -hmm. two days because it was like, oh, good, we want you on the 4 o'clock news, the 5 o'clock news, the 6 o'clock news, and back tomorrow morning, the 5 a.m., the 6 a.m. Oh, then can you do something for the 11 a.m. show, and then we need you at 4 and 5 o'clock the next day. And it was this bizarre kind of dream state. I thought I'd be going down there doing two stories, and I did all these stories in, in a 48-hour period. It was just a blur. I, I couldn't Man. believe. I couldn't even tell you what, what cars were going on back then, whatever they were introducing in 2002. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it is it's really and for some reason well i guess not for some reason but the la auto show for people who aren't in southern california it, this place kind of shuts down 
especially downtown LA, is all things cars for about a week and a half, two weeks. And you know, it didn't used to be that way. You know, they were really smart to move the LA Auto Show to November to get it out, because it was always in the shadow of the Detroit Auto Show, the North mm-hmm. American International Auto Show, and it would be like, hey, are you going to bring this new whatever? No, we're saving it for Detroit. Well, now, in, in November, and we find the number of off-site events, you know, hey, Audi's going to do this thing here at the Art Center College, and, and BMW is doing this thing here and that thing here, so that not just their news conference at the show, but all these ancillary events. And that's only happened in about the last four or five years. The partying is a, is a bit of a plus. Well, it, what they do is they, it, it's like, well, we're doing this event, we're unveiling this new car, and you go there and go, who are these people? Oh, these are our, um, our lifestyle uh, yeah. influencers. Well, who the heck are they? These are people like, who want a uh, take advantage of an open bar. Cindy Crawford's personal assistant or something like that. I don't know. But it's just these people they invite. And then you say, oh, they are there. I recognize the journalist over there at the buffet. You know? Yeah. So, so they're media events, but they're also but, – but back to your point, you know, one, one, of the, one of the best things that's probably happened in Southern California is that we've become where everyone wants to do their green cars. And because of mandates, mm-hmm. we have electric cars. And so there are cars that are sold here that are not sold in other places. You know, we're always the first ones to get when the GM EV1 came out back in the 1990s uh, when they do these launches they do uh, fuel cell cars right now so we get to be this place we used to be the place that you couldn't get all the cool cars back in the 70s because they were too smoggy now we're getting the cool cars here that are often not available elsewhere yeah no we're, we're getting all the um like like you said with the fiat the isn't the uh, fiat electric only fiat in electric. california i think i think california you can probably get one somewhere else but you'd have to find a dealer here to sell it to you and you don't get all the rebates and everything else so it's incentivized to the point that you really don't want one in other places. So yeah, we we get a lot of we get a lot of neat stuff here, and obviously Teslas sell very well here. Of yeah. course, they do sell well in other metropolitan areas, but you know we're the place where a lot of the advanced stuff happens. And as you know, the design studios are here from many of the manufacturers, so we get a lot of that stuff that we get to see sneak peeks of things that go on here. So it really is the place to be. If I, you know, doing my job. I'd much rather be doing it here than in New York or Chicago or, or other places because this is kind of the car place. Yeah, definitely. I mean, California has sort of – Southern California has always sort of been the hub of car culture. But now, more than ever, it does seem like it's having a resurgence and a renaissance of, you know, with especially with the EV cars. But And then you go past California, the whole muscle car wars are back. I mean, oh, absolutely. Th- this That's is, awesome. you know, the biggest time for muscle cars since the muscle car era. Well, I live right near uh, the oldest remaining Bob's Big Boy, and people might have been there. It's in Burbank, and they have a yep. car night every Friday night. Yep. And I know that the manufacturers, when Chevrolet was bringing back the Camaro, uh, this is going back a few years now, they had Jay Leno drive in there in the prototype, and they made arrangements to have spaces. Chrysler has used it when they brought out the Challenger. So they know that there's still so much of the muscle car and hot-rodding culture here. So then there's the other side of the coin. Okay, we have all the EV green stuff, but we got all these cool muscle cars, and we have all these heritage places. And by the way, you can pull the Dodge Challenger into the Bob's Big Boy parking lot on a Friday night in January because there isn't two feet of snow on the ground. Yeah, so yeah. it's a place to do it, and you've got a lot of the media here still as far as the publishing industry, uh, magazines, uh, that sort of thing. So well, you're definitely a muscle car guy because you – well, that's just my era. You know, when I when I grew up, that's what the cool cars were. Now, I like a lot of great old cars. I mean, I love – I think my like of cars starts probably about in the late 1950s and then moves forward. But there's all kinds of cars that I'd love to own. I mean, I love the second-generation Corvair. You know, we had a, mm-hmm. a first-generation one when I was a really small child that I don't remember. But that was such a wonderful design from that Bill Mitchell era. I mean, I would mm-hmm. love to have a Corvair Corsa convertible. Uh, it's not an especially powerful car, but something fun to tool around in. I learned to drive stick shift on a late 60s VW Beetle that another uncle had, so I'd love to have one of those someday. 
my grandfather had a Carmen Ghia before I was born that I have pictures of. I'd love to have one of those. So yeah. I, I actually have pretty eclectic taste. I like the muscle, but yeah. uh, I like all kinds of so stuff. So what, what do you have in your collection right now? Well, starting with the earliest, I have that 65 Mustang that I bought. It was not given. I bought for my aunt and uncle uh, almost 20 years ago now, uh, and that car is still in wonderful condition. It was painted in 1982. So I have a car with 32-year-old paint on it and mostly original interior the original engine, that 289, just runs like a top. I have a 1968 Mustang that is a replica of the Steve McQueen car from Bullet. Uh, it's a uh, 394 speed fastback Highland Green. I, my wife, uh, I get to drive it too. We have a 1975, very original Datsun 280Z. Cool. First year for the fuel injection. It's got original paint. Uh, it's a real low mile car, 42,000 miles on it. Wow. I have a 1977 Ford Bronco, which is the last year of that original small. Jeep style Bronco, mm-hmm. um, and then I have a BMW motorcycle, a K1100 from 1996, and then of course, uh, oh, I have a uh, 2001 Volkswagen Golf GLS 1.8T five-speed, which is actually a very rare car, and then we have our Fiat 500e. So you do have an eclectic yes. even collection <laughs> yes, of yes, cars. I, you yeah. know, not too many bullet replica or tribute guys with 91 golfs no <laughs> you might be two, the only 2001 one. hey 2000 don't, don't sell me short it's an old one it, it's it's not just any bullet replica if you've seen a uh bullet mustang in any kind of media uh, it's probably dave's yeah it, it's just because <laughs> i i know the folks from ford motor company i know the folks from the peterson museum and it's been in some uh some productions in hollywood uh one of my great memories of that car and this goes back to the la auto show i got a call from the local pr guy for ford and just before the 2000 LA Auto Show, and he said, hey, can we uh, use your car for press days? And I said, okay, why? Well, I can't really tell you, but, you know, we want to have it on display just for press days, and can you bring it down to the convention center? Well, that was when Ford did the concept for the 01 Bullet Mustang at their stylus yeah. in in-house. And then a year later, I got a call, can we use your car again for the LA Auto Show? Well, I kind of knew what was going on there. That yeah. was when they announced the production version of the 01 Bullet Edition Mustang. So it was in there twice, and then Ford took it up to San Francisco a little later in, in 01 to do all those uh, photos of the car, and Chad McQueen uh, was part of that. So, yes, it was in that. Cheryl Crow drove it in her music video for the song oh, Steve cool. McQueen. They had a they had a jump car they were jumping and trashing, but mine was what they called the beauty car. Um, Steve, or Dwayne The Rock Johnson drove it in Race to Witch Mountain, and he signed the door jam for me as a, oh, that's as cool. a little token. So, uh, yeah, it's been around wasn't a few it, uh, Wasn't it a European Commercial too. Oh, it was in the Ford? commercial for. If you you can find it on YouTube now, it's a uh, car called the Ford Puma, which came out in 1997, and they used the footage of Steve McQueen from Bullet and digitally put him into this Puma driving around. They matched it shot for shot. At the end of the ad, he backs into a garage in San Francisco, and my car is there along with a, a very uh, similar motorcycle to the Great Escape. Yeah, it's a it's a, look that up on YouTube. It's a very cool video, yes. and you you'd swear to God that it's Steve McQueen actually driving in that. In that commercial, it's, yeah, it's we'll, a little freaky. You know, it's pretty cool. We'll put the video on carstories.com so oh, okay. you, can, you can link to it. But um, so how did you get the car? Did you do the restoration? Well, here's what it's kind of a funny story. When, my when I was a kid, my parents had a 1968 Mustang convertible, but a very vanilla, you know, 289 two barrel automatic. And I used to drive that sometimes in high school. But I, of course, like a lot of people, I loved seeing Steve McQueen's car in bullets. So um, in the early 90s, I was getting ready to, you know, get myself a collector car, and I, I thought, I want a 68 Mustang GT convertible, like the nicer version of the car my parents had. So I started looking. There was a classified ad paper called The Recycler, yeah. which mm-hmm. was pretty much Craigslist before there was Craigslist. Every Thursday, yeah, you got That's the right, one. and it yeah. came out at like 7 a.m., and I used to go right over to the office over in Silver Lake to get it, like, you know, hot off the presses. And I was looking for and I kept looking for a 68 GT convertible. Well, I kept seeing 68... Mustang GT Fastback, 390, four-speed, power steering, power brakes, air conditioning, 
Uh, and the guy wanted, I think he wanted $12,000 for it. Now, this is in 1992, so that was a lot of money. Because yeah. there was a recession going on, and so the value guide, you couldn't look it up on the internet to see what it was worth. You had to go get a printed value guide that you hoped wasn't too far out of date. And so I kept looking. Then he lowered the price, so I finally, I finally called the guy. And he was right over in Glendale. Well, it was a bone stock, Mustang GT from 1968. He graduated from high school in 1968 and bought himself, when he was successful, a 68 Mustang and a 68 Camaro, because those were the cars he couldn't afford when he was in high school. And he had them for a couple of years. Well, the Mustang was a four-speed, and the Camaro was an automatic, and his wife couldn't drive a stick. So he said, I decided I'm selling the Mustang. Well, we went back and forth on the price, and it was dark green, mm-hmm. but it had white wall tires and, and the stripes down the side. It was a very low mile for the time, 87,000-mile California original car, black plates. So we finally worked out a price, and, and, and I got the car, and... About a year and a half later, the Northridge earthquake struck, and the mm-hmm. car got damaged in my garage, and the fluorescent shop lights came off those little hooks. By the way, always secure them better than just with a little yeah. J-hook. I learned the lesson. car got all scratched up, had to be repainted. Well, when I picked the car up, the stripes weren't on yet because they had to order them, and that's what made a GT a GT was you yeah. had a contrasting stripe on the side. And I looked at the car, and I thought, okay, now's the time to make this thing into a bullet replica because I don't have any stripes now. So I got the American Racing wheels. I started taking the trim off and painting things body color, taking the grill trim off. And I had this bullet replica when people weren't really doing them. We're talking like the mid-1990s. And a guy was looking, a guy named Randy Leffingwell, who I think you know is a real real good uh, automotive photographer. And he was looking for a bullet replica for a book he was doing on Mustangs. And he looked all over San Francisco, and nobody in San Francisco had one. He figured, well, there's got to be one up here. It's where the movie was filmed. He, a guy that I knew, lived in San Francisco. He got a hold of him. Oh, call this guy in L.A. And he goes, I can't believe this car's in L.A. So he photographed it, put it in his book. Well, then once it's in a book, then someone else wants to put it in a magazine. Then someone else wants to do it this. And that's sure. how the Puma commercial came about. So that's been that car's history. I, I always kind of wanted a bullet car, and it just sort of fell into my lap. <laughs> so, now it's famous. Now it's somewhat famous. <laughs> so is there? do you ever have anyone who knows the car, has worked with the actual car, point out the... Oh, all the time. I mean, now that we have the internet, you know, we have all these guys. And and what I always like to joke, you know, I've been put in touch with people who say, well, your car is a later 68. You have the wrong quarter planet reflectors and your car has the wrong mirror on it. And and I'm going to build a better one than yours and blah, 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 blah. And they always have these guys who say they're going to build the most perfect bullet replica in the world. And I always now say, so what technique are you going to use to put the big scrape in the front fender and the big dent in the hood like Steve McQueen did before they even started filming the movie? Well, I'm not going to do that. Well, you're going to build a replica. You want it to look that exact. Perfect. That's what it looked. Well, that's the thing. The paint was kind of chalky on that car. It was kind of dirty and grimy. And you have these guys now who are building a, quote, replica down to the exact detail, but they have a $12,000 two-stage paint job on it that looks yeah. like, you know, it came off a, a, a Rolls-Royce. And, you know, they do a leather interior and they do 17-inch wheels. Like, well, um, they're all tribute cars. Let's call so them are that. You not, are you not constantly refining when you find out the, oh, this is how the bumper should have been or well, this is how the gas cap is? Well, a lot of things are, I mean, I've refined it over the years. A lot of things are, you have to take trim off the car. And yeah. back in the day, they drilled holes and stuck it on. So for years, I had my M-U-S-T-A-N-G on the edge of the trunk lid because if you pull them off, there's going to be a bunch of holes there. So when I had it in for some other paintwork, I said, oh, while it's in here, can you take these off and fill the holes in? So it's been an evolution that way. I didn't just set out to... I'm going to spend $10,000 modifying this car. It sort of evolved oh, over time. Oh, cool. And it's a great replica. I mean, what, I feel weird calling them replicas because that... I, I, th- I think tribute, tribute is probably a better term because replica would mean you'd have to do everything to the degree, including the you scratches didn't walk and dents. Well, replica makes it sound like a fake car. Well, it's a real yeah. Mustang. It's right. a real... It's a, like when they say Shelby replica, now I keep hearing the term Shelby tribute when they yeah. do a Mustang fastback and make it look like a GT350. I'd call it a tribute, a, a film car tribute. It actually belonged to a club called Star Car Central, 
And it's a local club, and it's people who have movie replica cars or movie tribute cars. So the guy who founded it has a Barris-era Batmobile. Uh, there's a, a Black Beauty. There are several different Herbie the Love Bugs. There are General Lees. There's a Scooby-Doo oh, cool. Mystery Machine. There's a couple of different Back to the Future DeLoreans. And I'm in this club, and, and we're this kind of odd internet. And we, we show up together at charity events and things like that. And we have these movie cars because look where we are. We're in Los yeah. Angeles. It's where movies are made. Well, very cool. Well, if anybody wants to check out, we're going to put up a picture of the uh, the car and the commercial on carstories.com. And follow Dave at uh, twitter.com slash abc7davekunz, K-U-N-Z. Uh-huh. And then check out Dave Coons, uh, ABC7's automotive specialist. When do you? When are you usually on TV? I'm usually on. Uh, I'm always on Saturdays. I'm usually on Fridays, uh, and then sometimes just various times of the week, uh, depending on when they need a feature story for the tail end of the news. And then, of course, they all stay up on the website, which is abc7.com. All right, and uh, I guess my last question, uh, final question, is uh, how do I get an ABC Seven pin? How do you get an ABC7 pin? You have to be uh, really nice to a guy who works at ABC7 and might have an extra one that fell out of his pocket in the dryer or something. So, uh, okay. I might have to find that guy. <laughs> well, Dave, thank you so much for coming in. Thanks, AJ, Dave. AJ, Chris, it's been a pleasure. I, I like coming here anyway, so having me on the radio show, uh, you know, hey, what the heck. <laughs> <laughs>